Good morning. How are we? You guys ready to do this? Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I think I'm, I think I'm good. Thanks. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Now, now, now. Uh, good morning, Kaya. This is still really exciting for me. Yeah? But as the newness begins to wear off, okay, and, uh, and you get used to the idea of things changing, okay? Um, remember this. Remember this. We are endeavoring to do the work of the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're doing. And so whatever excitement I feel, I don't have to try to bolster that six months from now. I don't have to go back to the retreat and, and, contem- and listen to those messages repeatedly. I don't have to, to sit and like trump up some sort of experience in order to feel excited about what God's doing. God is doing a mighty thing in this world. That's what he's doing. And, and, and this is our opportunity and perhaps the last opportunity uh, to do the work with him. And this should be exciting. And that is why we are in Romans. Because Romans for us holds more gospel, whoa, more gospel oriented information than any of the other epistles. Okay? And, and I want us to spend time here because I'm so excited about the gospel being the only thing that we talk about, being the only thing that is on the tip of our tongue is the story of Jesus. You know, I'm I'm really excited by Sam pushing you, and I want to mention this again. If you haven't written your testimony down, you need to do that. Like, you you might, maybe in your mind, you think that that, he's not talking to you. He's talking to you, believer. If you're saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, and you have a story of salvation, okay, regardless of what that story is, you should write it down and you should know it, because God has done things in your life. And you should be quick to be able to talk about them. It should be easy for you. It should be simple. And it's that testimony uh, that, that is going for many of you to be the power of seeing people saved. So please, be, be thinking about that. Be preparing to do that if you haven't done that already. Write your testimony down. How was it that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, there's some of you today in this room who maybe have never actually accepted Christ as your Savior. And maybe you acknowledge certain aspects of the gospel, like you understand it maybe from a historical perspective. Or maybe you understand it it even from a spiritual perspective, but you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ the way he gave his life to you. Right? You understand that the nature of the gospel is this, that God sent his only son to this earth to die for our sins. Because we were separated from him. We were separated from access to God. We were separated from his eternal plan. We were separated from that. And so the only way to gain access to Jesus Christ and to gain access to the Father was through the blood of Christ. That man-child that we read about today in main service in Revelation, that man-child, he came here for us. And if we want to know God, if that's our desire, there's only one way to know God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And if we give our lives in return for what he did for us, his death, burial, and resurrection, we can know him. Right? It doesn't have to be religion. You understand that? It doesn't have to be religion. You can have something way more personal and way more intimate than that. 
And I, and I hope even in our time of worship, especially, what's the name of that, that second to last song we sang? What's that called? Satisfied in You? You can't sing those lyrics. I don't think you can get away with singing those lyrics unless you know Jesus Christ as a friend. I mean, it, that's, that's a song of intimacy. And that's what our faith should be and can be. But we have to know him in, in the fellowship of his sufferings. We have to adopt that fellowship that he's offered to us so freely. That's the power of Romans. And that's where we're going to be. Let's pray real quick. I'll do a brief review. Uh, of the like four words that we got through last week. And then if we're lucky, we'll get through the f- first verse today. Okay. All right, let's, let's pray. Eva, yeah, I will have that water, actually. Can you tell that I'm a little parched? Thanks, Dear Heavenly Father, my soul is satisfied in you. Uh, you've done everything. Uh, and fulfilled everything I've ever wanted. There is no want outside of you. And in the times I don't believe that, will you forgive me? And in the times when my satisfaction comes from other things, when I think that I find rest in entertainment or vegging out um, or emptying my mind when I think that I'm finding satisfaction in other things would you forgive me and draw me back to you your gospel is the only thing that matters it's the only thing that sets me free and so God today as we look at, at the truth of scripture as we look at your inspired text would you empower us today to do the work that you've called us to, the only thing that you've you've called us to do, would you empower us to do that so when we do meet you face to face, you would be satisfied in us. That we wouldn't just be covered in the blood and that we wouldn't just be clean, but Lord, we we would also bring with us souls and that you would find satisfaction in how you used us. That's what we want. So sanctify us this morning. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Okay. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Begins with Paul establishing his authority. And and, uh, his authority is connected to this idea of servanthood. We ready? Renee, you're already yawning. Don't yawn yet. Did you get coffee? I mean, I get a yawn in like 30 minutes from now. But right now, don't yawn yet. I just like, just started. Okay. So he establishes his authority by, by showing us how submitted he is to Jesus Christ. See, his authority comes from the fact that he's positioned Jesus Christ so highly above himself. And he calls himself a servant. And that word servant is, is not just uh, someone who, who does work. This is a slave. This is a, this is a shackled individual. This is a person that's submitted to the, the every request of his master. And he will do that bidding, no matter what the cost. That is who he is. 
And as we looked at that, we asked the very difficult question, if, if that, whether or not that's who you are. Is that who you are? And before we can move forward and, 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 and even consider whether or not God is satisfied in us, if God wants to use us, we have to first recognize what our position is in relation to him. You cannot be used by God unless you first make a decision to be his slave. You can't be used. So the daydreaming about who you're supposed to be in ministry and what it is that you're supposed to do with your life and what career choices that you should make and, and, and um, who it is that you should marry and all these questions that you have about your life as a young person. These questions are meaningless and they're vain in nature if you haven't first decided that you're going to be a slave to Jesus Christ. You understand? We have to be available to him to do whatever he asks. And he's asked us to do one simple thing. And that's to preach the gospel everywhere we go. To be a living sacrifice so that we can be used. And so the question was, do you consider yourself a slave to Christ? That was the question that we, we ended with last week. Do you consider yourself a slave to Jesus Christ? A slave doesn't have... A slave's desires are submitted. They, they are. They are. What are your desires? Are you willing to die to them? What options does a slave have? None. They have no options. Yet we personally, we can thrive knowing that Jesus Christ wants to live through us. And that's the best life to live. The next point we want to make in verse 1. Paul's talking about who he is. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Okay, LFBI students, what, is, what does the word apostle mean? Sent one. Okay, sent one. Here's a man. Thank you. Sent one. The, the term of apostle is unique, right? Though, Okay, so when we look at the New Testament, we can understand that the word apostle means sent one. And that gives us the ability to apply that term to us inspirationally. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the word apostle is also very unique. Okay? Because it also describes a very specific membership in an elite group of individuals for which most of the New Testament was written and the world was turned upside down by. Okay? Which, which was what Uriah was talking about. The world was turned up down by a group of people named the apostles. And these were unique men in the world. And Paul was considered an apostle. Okay, let's first talk about what it means to be an apostle in the New Testament. This is a little bit of doctrinal stuff. And, and I don't want this to be heavy, because I'm going to explain to you the significance of this in a minute. But I want you to stay with me. I want you to follow with me. And I want you to turn to uh, Acts Chapter 1, verse 21. Now in Acts chapter 1, Peter makes it very clear that there were three basic requirements for being an apostle. Okay? And let's, let's look at those real quick. Three basic requirements for being an apostle. Chapter 1, verse 21. Wherefore, okay, now let me explain to you the, the setting here. All right? Maybe if you're not familiar with this chapter, let me, I should explain the setting. Okay, Judas died. You guys remember who Judas was, right? Judas was the betrayer of Jesus Christ. 
And so where there was before 12 apostles, there were now 11. And, and the apostles, the remaining apostles, saw it fit to add to themselves a 12th apostle. They were looking at a handful of guys, and they were considering, we need to add to ourselves one more apostle. We like even numbers. We like the number 12. Okay, we need one more guy. Okay, and so, and so they're, they're debating that, and they're talking about what it is that the requirements should be for apostleship. Okay, and they've got their candidates, and Peter's talking about it. In verse 21, he says, Wherefore, of these men, which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So the first qualification is that a candidate for apostleship needed to be someone who lived and walked with Jesus Christ in all of those days of ministry. It's someone who witnessed the, the miracles, someone that was present for all of the teaching, someone that was discipled. Okay, and so we want to come back to that inspiration. Let me point to something real quick. These men had to be disciples of Jesus Christ to be sent. And my question to you is, if, if you are a sent one, have you been discipled? Okay, And I think a lot of us have. A lot of us in this room have made space in our life to be mentored by another individual, to build us up in the truth of who Jesus Christ is in his word. And they've taught us the basic doctrines of the faith so that when we go out and we're sent, we're prepared to do the work. Okay, so the qualifications for an apostle as a position where you had to have walked and lived with Jesus Christ. You had to have heard the life-changing teachings. And the same thing is true for us inspirationally. You want to be sent. You want to go. Then whose feet have you sat at in order to learn the truths of God's word? And if you have not done that, well, what do you plan on taking to other people? What is it that you plan on espousing? What is it you plan on teaching if you haven't been taught yourself? So the first thing we should look at is, look, an apostle had to have been someone who walked with Jesus Christ. Next, he needed to have witnessed Jesus sacrifice himself on the cross. Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 22, the first part says, uh, beginning from the baptism of John, okay, the baptism of John, Unto that same day that he was taken up from us. They had to have seen Jesus Christ sacrifice himself on the cross. That was, a, that was a moment of significance. And it would determine whether or not someone was an apostle. Right? It was important. For us, the same thing is true. In, in inspiration, the same thing is true for us. Have you witnessed for yourself the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you? Do you know it? Are you familiar with it? Have you read the account? And have you applied that to your life? Does the sacrifice of Jesus Christ belong to you? Are you an eyewitness of the testimony of the day that he gave himself up? Now, obviously, you weren't physically there. But do you know it? You know it if you're familiar with the fellowship of his sufferings. Right? As Philippians teaches us, the fellowship of his sufferings are crucial to our life. Do you know the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? To be an apostle, right, as Peter explains it in Acts chapter 1, you had to have been there when he died on the cross. The third thing is, you had to have seen Jesus walk, talk, and eat among the disciples after his resurrection. After his resurrection. You had to have been there. You had to have been with the disciples and see him in his, in his post-resurrection state and been there and walked with him. You know, Thomas felt his side, right? 
Right? He, he actually touched the resurrected Jesus. They dined with him. They ate fish on the, on the seashore. They spent time. The apostles spent time with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Okay, okay, sent one, sent one. Do you know the resurrected Jesus Christ? Because the difference between the one that died on the cross and the one that was resurrected is the one that was resurrected, Jesus Christ after his resurrection, that's where the power is. One is sacrifice and humility and brokenness. The other is glory. Do you know the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ? Did I get it? Okay, now let me explain this. This is crucial. Because in order to be sent, you have to be so familiar and intimate with that glorified Jesus that you, that you live in a state of, of grace knowing that you too will one day be resurrected. You, you live eternally. That you are also a partaker of that glorified state. One day you will be translated and transfigured. And just like Jesus Christ, you will be, you'll be living in that power. And so for, to, in order to be an apostle, okay, to be a sent one, we know that we have to be saved and we have to be discipled. We get that. We get that. But to be a literal apostle, a unique apostle, an elite group, that, that group of 12 men, okay, you had to quite literally have experienced these things. Those were the qualifiers. And anybody that fell outside of those qualifiers was not an apostle. You were, you were not uh, open to nomination. Okay? Now, here's the question for you. Did Paul experience any of that? If we remember the story of Paul, Paul never knew Jesus. Right? He, he didn't walk with Jesus. He was a Pharisee. But yet, he calls himself an apostle here. In fact, he calls himself an, an apostle in almost all of the epistles. And I want, to, I want to share something with you. This is super important. And this might sound really, maybe doctrinally insignificant to you, but it's not. Bear with me. Over the last 2,000 years, much has been said about the apostleship of Paul. Okay? M much. And almost all of the early church, all of the early church fathers were committed to the idea that, the Paul, that Paul was an apostle. And almost without exception, agreed who Paul was and the authority by which he called himself an apostle. But let me explain something to you. It's 2016. And the world's going crazy. And people that call themselves theologians do not even need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior anymore. And there are people in this world, okay, I could name them, writers, people who call themselves uh, uh, historians, people who call themselves uh, theological scholars, who want to deny today the writings of Paul and the claims that he was an apostle. Has, has anybody bumped into someone like that? Okay, a lot of times these people refer to themselves as like red-letter Christians, right? They, they, they say that, well, the teachings of Jesus Christ are the one... I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and I abide by the teachings that Jesus Christ taught. Uh, but I struggle with the, the letters that Paul wrote 
because I'm not even sure of his, his apostleship. Or maybe they'll challenge the inspirational nature of his letters. Or whether or not he even wrote the letters. Right? That's, that's his, the authorship of some of these epistles has is, is is been challenged in a way, listen to me, that have not been challenged in the last 2,000 years of Christian history. And the first century believers would have never once doubted who Paul was. And yet today they do. And the question is why? Why? The motivation is simple. They don't want to obey it. If Paul isn't who he said he, he was, then we don't, have to, we don't have to follow the doctrinal teachings of the structure of the church. We, we, don't, have to, we don't have to listen to what he says about marriage. We don't have to listen to what Paul says about uh, what makes a pastor. We don't have to listen to what Paul says about the Jewish people. We don't have to listen to what Paul says uh, about uh, the nature of the resurrection. And we can quite literally do away with the majority of the New Testament. And we can make our own faith system. And that's what people want to do. That's what people want to do. So what we're going to do over the next few minutes is we're going to establish why the Apostle Paul is exactly who he said he was. So that you can refute to any person who calls themselves Christians and yet denies the truth of the pages that basically start, oh, right here. Like anything after this. They, they, they want to do away with this. You'll have the ability to refute that. And you will not fall prey to those false teachings. Are you ready? Let's do it. So Paul's claims are clear. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle. Okay, this is his introduction to the letter to the Galatians. Right? He says, Paul, an apostle. Now listen to what he says here. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, Paul says, no men nominated me. No one cast lots like we see in chapter 1 of Acts. No one cast lots to determine whether or not I should be an apostle. I came by way of adoption. Jesus Christ himself visited me on the road to Damascus, and he told me who I was supposed to be. Oh, well, isn't that fancy, Paul? That's, that's convenient, isn't it? Say the naysayers, right? But listen to me. He establishes who he is. And there is confirmation of who he is. So let's first look at his conversion. Acts chapter 19, verse 12. Here's the testimony of, of Paul. Now, now, before we read the testimony of Paul, who wrote Acts? Luke. Who was Luke? A follower of Jesus. He was also an, a what? An apostle. Okay, so it's important for us to note, first and foremost, that the apostles were familiar with Paul, his testimony, and who God made him to be. And we'll look at that a little bit more in a second. So Acts 19, 12, Whereupon, as I went to Damascus, with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and, and them which journeyed with me. And when we, were, when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying, 
In the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, who or why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, well, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the, in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the, from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Okay, what's that word? I send. Right? I send thee. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So according to the apostle Luke's account in Acts, he confirms the conversion of Paul and confirms the fact that Paul was sent. That that's the language that God used. Right? Are you going to stand with me? How are the notes going up here? Oh, I have 19. Oh, good. Thank you. Good. That's going, to ha- that's going to happen, right? I'm going to make that mistake. When you copy and paste a lot, that happens. Yeah, so are we good now? It says 19 here in my notes, too, so I must have. I think you're reading Beats the heck out of me. I'm pretty sure. I, saw, I thought the. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I was. This is, this is Acts 26. Isn't it? Is it nine? But what are you reading? Are you reading? Are you reading the message? Okay. All right. Well, uh, technology will figure that out. You guys will figure that out amongst yourselves. Okay. So I copied and pasted the wrong numbers. My bad. But here's the point. Paul was quite literally sent by Jesus himself. That's what happened. And what I want you to see is that God's calling was enough for Paul. It was enough. For the surety of who he was supposed to be, the calling itself was enough. The fact that he had met Jesus Christ on the road. You know, what, what Paul, Paul doesn't immediately go and confirm this happening with the other apostles. Yeah, he doesn't do that. He's confident in what happened to him. So much so that he, that he is ready and willing to do the work. He doesn't need the affirmation of men. He doesn't need it. So we see Paul, he's not like going and trying to like make an argument with the other apostles. What we see is that in due time, the, the other apostles accept him as an apostle. It's a natural thing. That they recognize that what he was doing was done under the authority of, as an apostle. Does this make sense? Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. You see that testimony? Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter. You guys catch that? Then he went to Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the brother, uh, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. 
But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once, once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Paul was not concerned with other people's opinions. But yet, eventually, after three years, he does go to Jerusalem. And Paul, or Peter receives him, doesn't he? For everything that he says he is, Peter receives him. And that's crucial to understand. Now here's the, here's the deal. Let's, let's apply this inspirationally real quick. You are a sent one. You're not an apostle. There's some that would espouse that they are. But they don't meet the requirements of Acts chapter 1. Right? There was some, there'll be some that, that would call themselves an apostle the way maybe Paul called himself an apostle. But there's no other apostle, apostles to confirm that, is there? They're, they don't, they're not alive today. The apostles aren't alive, right? And so someone who calls themselves an apostle, right, which we see a lot in the Pentecostal church, people saying that they have apostolic gifts, saying that they are apostles, well, they have no way of confirming that, do they? So, but what I want to say to you is this. If you're sent, if you are an apostle, inspirationally, you are a sent one, are you, should you be concerned about people's doubt of who you are? Where you go in this world and where you take the gospel, people will refuse you. And they will deny Jesus Christ in you. And so in order to apply this to our lives, what we have to recognize is that we have to take the testimony of Paul. We have to take it serious. He was not worried about what other people thought. He was worried about what God called him. And many of us are so transfixed with reputation and how we're seen and how we're perceived and whether or not we look right, and whether or not we're eloquent, do we let all of those things get in the way of whether or not we do the work of an apostle? And how have you let people's perspective of you inhibit you from preaching the gospel in your school, in your workplace? See, you shouldn't care what other people think of you. If Jesus Christ calls you a son, if you are quite literally seated with him in heavenly places, what can, what can someone do to you? How can someone harm you? How can someone cause fear in your heart? How can someone cause doubt? They can't. They can't. Unless you decide that you're not sent. Unless... unless Unless somewhere along the line you deny God all the things that He's made you to be. Right? And there's some of us in this room who are in that place. You know, God is God here, but He's not God out there. Now here's the deal. Remember, remember that What we want Kaya to be is a, is a ministry of evangelists, right? That's what we've been talking about over the last week. We want this to be a ministry of evangelists, people doing the work of an evangelist. We want to go out into the world, and we want to draw people here. And yet, if somewhere along the line you've found yourself doubting 
That's going to make this work really difficult. We have to determine who we are. We are sent ones. We are called, God called your name. Did he? Do you remember the day that God called your name? So what is it that's causing you to doubt your, your sentness? Huh? Is it people? Is it position? What is it that's getting in the way? Paul let nothing get in the way. Certainly not man's opinion. So let's look at the confirmation of who Paul is. Okay, He, he was who he said he was. And that was confirmed... And, oh, look, this is, this is what I think I, I, I meant. Acts chapter 19, right? And this is where I got hung up. Or maybe I'm wrong again. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, uh, let's start in verse 11. You can tell me if I'm way off here. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of, hands of Paul. Is that right? Good. <laughs> I'm already messing up the second week. Dang. Oh, well, thank goodness I'm not worried about what you think about me. (laughs) I know who I am. I know who I am. (laughs) And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs, or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Paul had apostolic gifts. They're con- confirmed in a book called... Listen, here's the funny thing. There's a book called The Acts of the Apostles. Okay? That, that name of this book was coined probably around the late 100. Yeah, year 100. Like around that time. The first person that we know that's called this, this write, these writings by Luke, The Acts of the Apostles, was a man named Irenaeus. Okay? Now he called them The Acts of the Apostles. Why is it that he would call them that? Why would Luke make a book about the Acts of the Apostles? Write a book. Why would Jesus Christ make sure that this made it into the canon? And half, over half the book is a testimony of what Paul did. If, if he was not an apostle. The majority of the book is about Paul. And it's a book written about the, the apostolic age. Does it make sense? This is basic logic. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> but he, he wrought miracles. And that's confirmed here. Okay, what about his testimony? Galatians chapter 2, verses 6. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw, speaking of the apostles... When they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, the gospel of the Gentiles, was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, who was who, what? An apostle. The same way that the, 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 the circumcised, the Jewish people, were committed to the shepherding of Peter, the apostle, the same way the Gentiles were committed to Paul, right? For he that wrought affectionately in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas, who was also an apostle, the right hand of fellowship. They welcomed him. Right? Confirmation, correct? In his testimony. 
They saw in him the testimony of apostleship, and so they extended the right hand of fellowship to him, saying, you are one of us, and we adopt you. The same way that Paul, or Peter, was adopted as the apostle to the Jews, Paul is, is accepted as the apostle to the Gentiles. Do you understand that? This is so simple. I pray to God that we would learn how to read the Bible, and that we would show other people, quite simply, why the entirety of the Scripture is inerrant, inerrant in nature. Every bit of it was preserved. It was kept. It was translated under the watch and guard and care of the one who inspired it. Do you understand? And the writings of Paul are incredibly significant. And in fact, without them, you cannot live as a Christian. And in many regards, they are as much the Gospels as the Gospels themselves. I mean, Romans teaches the Gospel with such clarity and in, in such a position of power and authority. It gives us more in Romans of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is than the gospels themselves. They are crucial. So he was confirmed in his testimony, which is also that account is acknowledged again in Acts chapter 15. Now, let's look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Paul's words were seen as scripture. Did you know that? That even contemporaneously, as Paul was writing these epistles, Peter himself acknowledged them as the inspired words of God. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, given by who? Well, who gives wisdom? Okay, so they're acknowledging that the wisdom that Paul contains, that he has, was given to him by God. Hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other... Mm. Unto their own destruction, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. This is what Peter's saying. Those who are unstable can rest in the words of Paul. Why? Because there's scripture. I'm a red letter Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. When people, like, I get it, the term Christian is loaded, isn't it? And, and people, are, people struggle with the term Christian. And so what they want to do is they want to call themselves followers of Jesus. You know the thing about calling yourself a follower of Jesus, especially in this culture? It doesn't really have the power, does it? Like, like I am a follower of Jesus, but, but what that really means a lot of times is this. I follow Jesus' words and not the other writings of the Bible. A lot of times that's what it means. Sometimes it's code for that. So beware of that when you hear that. And sometimes it's code for, I just believe those four Gospels. One of which was written by Luke, and Luke confirmed who Paul was. Simple, huh? So Paul's authority was clear. At least it's clear to us now. But here's the deal. This is what I want you to take away from this. But although Paul's position as apostle was elite, 
We recognize that. It was an elite position, wasn't it? Thank God for it. I mean, I can't wait to meet this dude. And his testimony is, for me, the inspiration of my life. If I could, if I could live Romans chapter 12, If I could just do that, man. So he's an elite individual. And the title itself means something very simple, though. Okay, It means sent one. And you are a sent one. You are a sent one. And an apostle lives to respond to the sending of their master. That's what an apostle does. But let me, let me point to something real quick. Okay, so we want, to do, we want to do the work of an apostle, right? We want to be missionaries to this world. Don't we? Can we? Yeah? Are you guys with me? Are you awake right now? I don't know if I'm being as dynamic as I need to be. <laughs> right? But listen, if we are going to be missionaries to our workplace, to our school, and to the rest of the world, we need God to go before us. We need God to prepare a way. And that's why there's verses like this in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. This is Paul, right? Writing. Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So Paul recognizes the need for prayers, for the gospel to have free course, that it might be made more effective by the working of the Holy Spirit, that hearts would be prepared in advance so that when the gospel is planted, that it, would, that it would have free course. So here's the question. Are we praying that with expectation? If we're going to be sent ones, if Kaya is going to be a ministry of, of apostles, of, of people who are going out and telling the world about who Jesus Christ is, if we desire to see this room filled with disciples and to do that work, then we need God to go before us. And this is what I'd like for you to start doing. Okay? I need you to create a good old-fashioned hit list. A Jesus hit list. Have you guys done this before? You know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who haven't, let me explain this to you. We need God to work in the lives of the people that we're exposed to. So the gospel have free course. And so what we do is we pray with specificity. We pray with names. We pray circumstances. We pray about fields and people. And we do that, the gospel might have free course. And so this is what we need to be doing right now. And I want you to prepare this hit list, and I want you to share it in your Bible studies this week. I want you to start writing the names of the people down that you know that you're exposed to. You need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Who is it? Who are these people? Some of these people might not even be people that you expose yourself to regularly, but you know of them. And God hasn't made a way for you to get to them yet. But is it because we haven't prayed that the gospel would have free course. And then when we pray that the gospel would have free course, God will make a way where things seem divided and difficult, right? Now listen to me. We have to adopt this perspective now. Now. 
Because there is absolutely no time to lose. You heard Sam say it last week, didn't you? Didn't you hear it? When he said that all we have is today. So why wait to pray the prayers that you know you need to pray today? We're not just talking about living. We're talking about spiritual rest. Your time of intimacy with the Lord shouldn't be all about you. You live to serve a master, and the master has one request of you. Open your freaking mouth. Go. Get to work. What else do you need? I put the Holy Spirit inside of you. I've made you an eternal being. I've made it so you don't have to fear anything in this world. So what is keeping you from doing the work? We've got to be about the business. And the, bus- the business includes this, creating a hit list. I don't know what else to call it. We can call it something more spiritual. You have a more spiritual title for that. You like that? I'm just now learning how to use a gun, by the way. <laughs> Andy, you need to keep taking me out so I can shoot. I was gifted a gun by Eva's uh, dad my father-in-law. And I went out shooting frogs with Joe Medlin. <laughs> and I did pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I'm not equipped, uh, I'm not equipped to do that type of hitting. Okay? I am equipped to do one thing. I'm equipped to ask Jesus Christ to do the work. I want to be an apostle. But I want to have liberty. I want to have boldness. I want to have the free course of the Holy Spirit as I go. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And we'll end on this note. Separated unto the gospel of God. Okay. Think about that for a second. See, Paul was once a Jewish rabbi and a member of the Pharisaic order. Okay, a position of reputation and benefit. I mean, they're really, amongst the Jewish people, there wouldn't be a title more, more exemplary than that. He, he was elite before he was elite. He had it good. But he was separated. He was separated. And he had it good. And he was separated. Now this is what I want to get at. If you are saved, you are separated. You were separated from something. You were... Re- the, the, Satan and the world were holding you ransom. Do you understand that? We like to pray, uh, praise God and worship. We see, especially in the old hymns, the word ransom a lot. We don't think about it. Like when we think about it, we think about like a, a Mel Gibson movie or something. No, meditate on this. You were in bondage to the world. And Satan had a grip on you. He held you ransom. And that ransom was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you were separated from that bondage and set free. And so, 
If you're saved, then you've been separated through justification, the justification of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you're also being separated right now through sanctification. You are continually doing the work of suppressing and putting away and dying to your flesh and yielding your members to Jesus Christ. And you're doing the work of sanctifying and separating yourself. You understand that? So we are both separated from the world, but we are also separating ourselves from the world. Does this make sense? Are you with me? Seth? You're there? You're either soaking it or in, in or you're done with you're done. You're soaking it in? Okay. But here's the thing that I want you to get. In both our justification and our sanctification, we must recognize something very important. We are being separated not for the sake of separation. Not for the not for mercy alone. Do you hear me? It's not mercy's not good enough for me. I'm being separated unto Jesus Christ that I might live in the fullness of his grace. Romans chapter 1 verse 1 Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God It is the gospel of God because it isn't of man No man could ever dream this up This is a heavenly plan established in eternity past, long before this earth was created, this was a plan. The gospel of God, the Father, the Eternal One. This is a heavenly plan. And no man could just make this plan up. Because when a man does make up a plan about eternity, you know what it looks like? Always, always, always in every world religion, it looks like doing things. Not in this plan. See, the gospel of God, the eternal plan, the heavenly plan. It's a gospel of grace. It's different. It's a gift. You accept it. You fall into it. It's an extension of God to you. He meets you where you're at. No other religion does that. There is no other religion like that. There isn't. You understand? It's the gospel of God in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. But jump down to verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. It's the gospel of the Son. Why? Because the gospel of the Son attributes divinity to the sonship of Jesus Christ. He was no man. He was no just ordinary man. You understand that? He was the Word made flesh. See, it's not just the gospel of God, but it's also the gospel of His Son. The divine, eternal Word who lived amongst us, who suffered all of the things that we suffered, exposed to all the same temptations, yet was perfect. He was divine in His very nature. Do you know how powerful that is? You know, the death, burial, and resurrection is power. It is power. But his life is power. 
who he was on this earth is powerful. That in, when, when all those men were out to get him, when all the people were trying to expose him as, a, as false, how, how he held himself with uprightness, when the very world was given, extended to him as a gift of Satan, he didn't flinch. He claimed his father. No, no, no. See, this is the gospel of a son. A divine man. Jump down to verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the gospel of Christ too. Because it centers itself around the salvation of all mankind. It's the gospel of Christ. Paul calls it the gospel of God. He calls it the gospel of the Son. And he calls it the gospel of Christ. Because it's the gift of salvation to all mankind. And we have to grab hold of it. We have to be separated unto it. We have to live that every single day. Every single day we have to live that. We have to live in the knowledge of that. It is what saved us. It is what set us apart. And it's what gives us the ability to be holy when we wake up in the morning. He set us free. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since, since the world began. What's Paul called it? He calls it my gospel. The eternal plan. The gospel of God. The divinity of, 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 of the Son of God. The gospel of the Son. The gospel of the Christ. The Savior of the world. mine it belongs to me it's it's mine as much as it belonged to God in eternity past it belongs to me now and if I don't make it mine then how can I open my mouth to the rest of the world to set other people free I I contain it it sits on the throne of my heart It dwells within me. It's who I am. And if it's not mine, if I don't take ownership for it, then I can't give it freely. I have no power to give it to other people. I have no authority to share it. I have no ability to spread it if I don't first own it myself. So here's the call this morning Are you a slave? Are you an apostle? Do you own the gospel? Does it belong to you? We want to do things in the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of who he is. That's what we want to do. We want to go to the world. We've got to know who we are. And if you don't know who you are this morning, then you need to take time before you leave to pray. And so right now we're going to do an invitation. I don't know whether or not you want to do a little ditty or not. 
that's on you. But I'm going to pray. Okay? I'm going to close in prayer. And I want you to take a moment to think about this next week. Just contemplate it. And ask yourself, am I going to be sent into this week in the grace of Jesus Christ? Am I moving into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Am I going with the call of my life in the authority of Jesus Christ? Am I going? And if I know, even right now in my heart, that there's something that's hindering me from owning the gospel and it being the thing that's on my lips this week, if I know that there's something that's going to get in the way, then I need to deal with that right now. Don't hesitate. You need to come down here up front? Fine. If you need to grab an, an elder in this class, okay, someone you consider a leader, grab them. If you need to take your friend up front, or you need to sit down and bow your heads right where you're at, that's what you need to do. But listen to me. The tone of my preaching will be the tone of an evangelist because that's who I want to be. And we together need to acknowledge that that's what God's called us to do. And if anything gets in the way of that, we need to lay it down now because we can't afford to waste this next week. We can't afford to do it because there's people going to hell. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, we are blessed to call you Father. We are blessed to be the brother of Jesus Christ. We're blessed by who he is. We're thankful for being s- separated from the world. We're grateful for the inheritance you've given us. But God, as we live and as we breathe, um, God, we want all of that to drive us to preaching the gospel. All those things that we are, all those things you've made us to be, God, would you take those things and would you use them to conform us into a missionary, sent, ready, prepared, determined, discipled, mentored, brought up in in the truths of your word, ready to go, ready to speak the truth. That's who we want to be. And that's the authority that we want to carry. So please take your word and make it our own. Please take the gospel of Jesus Christ and give it to us in such a way that it belongs to us and we own it and we're responsible for it and we steward it. Make us that type of believer. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.